As we venture into 2022, what I wanted to do to begin this year was just to give a bit of a charge for us. Uh, I might have to re-preach this sermon next week uh, to give the charge again, but not really. That won't happen. But um, So what I want to do is I just want to kind of hone in on some of the highlights of Revelation and let that speak to us as we look at this upcoming year and, and where we're headed as a church. Now, as we think about this type of sermon, it's good to consider some of the context within which this confronts us. So if you were to sit down to list out some resolutions or some priorities that you would have for the next year, it'd be wise to identify some of the areas in your life where you are in need of help. Some areas maybe where you are struggling. So eating regimen or exercise are oftentimes a key target because people oftentimes can struggle with this area. Uh, So a few observations about where things stand from a cultural perspective. And just to be clear, like I'm not being exhaustive with this, but I'm just touching on a few items here. So, all right, first of all, I don't know if you felt this uh, within our culture, but instability abounds. It's everywhere. Instability is everywhere. So financial markets, we're told that a crash is unavoidable. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. COVID has upended any semblance of normal in life or any type of schedule as well. The political turmoil surrounding us has accelerated the breakdown of relationships, and relationships have become filled with tons of uncertainty for some of us and many people. In our culture, crime rates have soared. Food insecurity is on the rise. Mental health cases and homelessness have exploded. Trust has eroded in so many spheres of life, including churches. There's many people who feel a lack of trust towards churches as well, wondering, are they just trying to make a buck? Or will I be cared for if I enter into this church context? And I think that those are legitimate questions for people to ask. So when we look all around in our culture, what we see is there is instability all over the place. So instability abounds and anger resounds as well. It almost seems like it's a goal for people to infuriate someone else and then to troll them with kind of like a you mad bro kind of a thing that we want to throw at other people. So comments in a social media post will reveal the ugliest parts of humanity. Slander is common. Road rage is now kosher. Public decency, common sense, goodwill seem to be a thing of the past. Anger has become something that we are entertained by, something that we giggle about. We make someone trip out for our own entertainment or because we want to get some thumbs up on a social media post. But the Bible speaks about anger. Proverbs fourteen seventeen says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Anger leads to foolishness, is what we can understand. And yet, we pursue anger. Many of us view anger, maybe not us, but culturally, many people view anger as something that's good in many respects. Despite the instability abounding and anger resounding, we still tend to think, though, that the solution to everything, the key to fixing all of this is within us. And so we hold on to this American value 
and that is autonomy is esteemed. We will fiercely fight for individualistic freedoms. What I want and when I want it, our culture esteems personal freedom, not as one of many values, but as an ultimate value. I deserve to have my freedoms when I want them. And this tends to override everything else. Okay, so this is part of the context. There's so much more that I could say about the context, but I want to limit my comments uh, for the sake of time to just this. Now, since I'm going to draw out some bigger themes from Revelation, I don't have a specific text this morning, but we'll kind of hit a number of places throughout Revelation. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. God, we live in a tricky context, and just highlighting some of these realities kind of hones in the focus on things are messy right now. And we need, oftentimes, to strip things back to the basics. So would you help us as we talk this morning? Would you press upon our hearts our need to look at foundational realities? For those of Center Church who aren't here and are away this weekend, would you press hard upon their hearts what we're talking about this morning? Thank you for your faithfulness to us, for not leaving us, for giving us hope in the midst of all this craziness that we live in. I pray that you would inspire hope in our hearts in these moments together this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so the book of Revelation began with some words that are instructive for us. Should be every day, okay? Not, not just when we're reading Revelation, but these words should be instructive for us all the time. So the whole book is about the first five words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what the whole of the book of Revelation was about. And as we look towards the new year, there must be a foundational pursuit for anyone who is trusting in Jesus. We must understand who he has revealed himself to be, not who we want Jesus to be, not what we think we need, because we all think we need, as individuals, we need something. We need specific things. But simply, we need to see Jesus for who he has revealed himself to be. And so I want to hone in on two themes here from the book of Revelation that we saw over and over throughout the book. The first is Jesus is revealed as the slain lamb of God. Over and over we got this picture. Jesus was referred to as the lamb of God. Maybe the most consistent theme throughout the book. Now, in general, we talk a lot about Jesus' death on the cross here at Center Church. We want to be cross-centered. We want to continually go back to the cross. But our tendency with familiarity is oftentimes to become bored or maybe to become inoculated to it. So we might ask the question, maybe we should just speak about the cross on Good Friday. And then just shock our senses with the blood and the gore at that time and then just leave it there. 
But though that might jolt us on that one day, it would do a disservice to the immensity of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross throughout the rest of the year. The fact that Jesus was slain informs how we think about, it should at least, how we think about the instability and the uncertainty in this world. It has meaning for it. Jesus' willingness to expose himself to the hatred and anger of others for our benefit must shape how we think about how and why we become angry as well. His death speaks to the foolishness of our self-sufficiency. And it points out our need to be helped, to be saved by someone beyond ourselves. Our individualism has severe limitations. And the cross screams that at us. Jesus came to this earth for the express purpose of dying on a cross for our sins. And as grotesque as that event is, as well as the details surrounding his death on the cross, it is amazingly good. Amazingly good. Jesus is our sacrifice. So, so what this means then for us is this year, you and I don't have to ever go to a temple and offer a sacrifice for our sins. Never. Not once this year do we have to go find some kind of an animal and slaughter it. Not once do we have to smell the stench of blood being shed for our sins. Jesus has done that for us. So we get to receive Jesus' grace. Now we need to be confronted with the picture of Jesus as the slain lamb. And, and part of this is because it forces us to face a number of realities that are vital to our flourishing. First of all, we need to understand that we are more sinful than we want to admit. We are more sinful than we realize. We have this innate desire to be viewed as good, to be viewed by others as successful or competent or capable in whatever area of life we think of. But Jesus on the cross says we are not strong, but we are weak. He says we are not good, but we are evil. He says we're not capable, we are incapable. We are people who need help. We need a Savior. We need a sinless being to come to us and to save us from ourselves. Jesus must come to us and die for us. He must do everything to save us from our sins. So we've got to wrestle with this fact, especially on those days when we think, man, I'm knocking it out of the park spiritually. I'm doing everything Jesus would want me to do. Because the reality is we don't have those days. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why hung on a brutal, bloody cross is to remind us we have need of him because we're more sinful than we want to admit. We're more sinful than we even realize it. And this reality is going to continually cause us to downplay how sinful we are. That's our sinful nature. That's going to downplay how sinful we actually are. And so this is why we need to let the revelation of Jesus reflect into our hearts, speak to us, inform us, 
shape us. Secondly, our sin is always a big deal. Always a big deal. Our sin isn't small. Our sin isn't passive. Our sin wreaks havoc. For us, as we commit sin, as well as those who are connected to us, we never sin in a vacuum. Never. So my sin affects all of you. Your sin affects one another. It affects me as well. To not think so is to be deceived. To not think so is to go along with the thinking of individualism. To think that we are just autonomous beings who are not connected to one another spiritually. Sinful choices grow our selfishness. Sinful choices suck life and energy out of us. Sinful choices discourages us. And it compels us to use our energy, not for good things, but to hide. So that people won't see us for who we really are. And the offset of this is, we then don't think of others. We don't use what we have been given by God, through His grace, to love and serve and bless others. We're not focused on Jesus. We're not focused on joining Him on His mission here on earth, seeking to advance the gospel. So looking at Jesus as the slain lamb causes us to have to face the ugly realities, the implications of our sin. My sin, my laziness, affects you. Your sin affects one another as well. But looking at Jesus as the slain lamb also allows us to see the other side of this coin. It also allows us to see the kindness of God and his love for us. Despite everything that I've said, we are more sinful than we want to admit, than we even realize. The fact that our sin is a big deal, despite all of that, God comes to us, pursues us, lays his life down for us. We are more loved than we deserve. We are more loved than we can ever imagine. Whenever we are not blown away by Jesus' love for us, it proves that we've minimized his love. His love is so much bigger than we oftentimes realize so much better than we oftentimes give it credit for the love that god has for us cannot be overstated also god's love for us it it can't be increased i was talking about this with one of my children as i was putting them to bed last night that there was nothing that they did during the day that caused me to love them more we, we had a great work day as a family yesterday, cleaning, purging, like doing all this stuff. And I was just telling my, this child, like, there was nothing that you did that caused me to love you more. And this is how God is. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And, and this should be immensely reassuring. Because we, we all know that we struggle. 
We all know that we sin. We all know, as the Bible says, that we fall short. And what that means then is God's love isn't removed. It's not like I'm going to take 10% of my love away. No, this is what compels us to live as followers of Jesus, to live as Christians, to pursue holiness, is understanding God's unchanging love for us. And this is what we're confronted with when we look at Jesus hanging on a cross for us. Not because we did all of these impressive things, but because we did all of these sinful things. That's why he hangs on the cross for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. And this is what we need to be confronted with over and over. Okay, so we must see Jesus as the slain lamb. But we, we must also see him as something else. And that is as our conquering warrior. Jesus is not just the lamb who is slain, but he's also the lion who roars. He is stronger, wiser, and more powerful than anyone or anything. There is no one like him. He is supreme, preeminent. He will be victorious. No one will be able to defy him, defeat him, or change him. He is the final answer. There is none like him. So, so if it was only Jesus slain as a lamb, that's problematic, right? But we also see Jesus depicted in Revelation as riding in on the white horse as our conquering warrior. This is how the gospel works. At the beginning, we find Jesus. At the very beginning, we find Jesus. And he refers to himself multiple times in Revelation as the beginning and the end. So everything starts with Jesus. He's the initiator, the pursuer. He's our rescuer. He comes after us. We don't first come after him. He enables our response. He comes to us and then enables our response to him. He draws us. He softens our heart. So our prayers don't change him. Our prayers of dependence put on display the fact that he has already changed us. So when we see Jesus as he's revealed himself as a conquering warrior, as a slain lamb, what follows then is our response. First, we've got to see him for who he is, who he reveals himself to be. This is step one. But then, once we see him, then comes our response. So our response, then, is a major theme throughout Revelation. It is one of faith that's marked by endurance and perseverance. And so, this is kind of how the gospel frames this up. Jesus' faithfulness, which comes first, comes first. Jesus' faithfulness towards us then shapes our faithful endurance and perseverance amidst whatever we encounter, amidst our struggles. So I want to mention three ways that Revelation talks about our need for endurance in faith. The first one is one that is felt less in our context, but is nonetheless felt heavily in other parts of the world. Those whom the Bible talks about as our brothers and sisters. So in some ways, we should see other, or Christians in other parts of the world as connected to us. 
So first of all here, three ways that we can endure in faith is in the face of persecution, even violent persecution. Jesus promised that if we are to stick close to him, stay committed to his truth, that we will be ridiculed, we will at times be excluded, and in the harshest of circumstances, people will be beaten and killed. So in the face of persecution, or maybe possible persecution, we are called to hold fast to Jesus. So we don't disown. Not like Peter, as Jesus is going to the cross. We don't disown Jesus. We don't conceal our trust in Jesus. It's intended to grow. Because Jesus is who gets us through all of life. And in our context, we should be able to acknowledge that in some ways, we are increasingly moving in a direction where there is hostility towards Jesus. The answer is not to fight. We're not going to advocate for fighting cultural wars. We don't need to fight for Jesus. Okay, if we exercise faith in Jesus, the fight will come to us eventually. But the call for us is to place faith in Jesus. Not to fight, but to place faith in Jesus. Even in the face of persecution. Secondly, we can persevere in faith in the face of deceptive teaching. We hold close to Jesus and know well how he has revealed himself. As we know who the true Jesus is, we then can likewise easily identify counterfeit Jesuses. And there are many. There are many in this world. The Bible talks about this in a number of different ways. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So many false prophets who will probably drop the name of Jesus want to teach something that at least has some affinity towards the gospel are actually false. And we need to be able to test them and identify them as false Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. We must watch out for those who are sowing division and discord who are creating obstacles to Jesus. Because this is not what Jesus came and began. This is not his kingdom. This is not what he is about. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is Satan's demo. Deception. Look a little bit like Jesus, but lead people down a path that's far from Jesus. Deception is everywhere. 
It's everywhere. The marrying up of national aspirations with Jesus' name is evil. The combining of material wealth with Jesus' kingdom is wicked. The crusades where people were slaughtered in Jesus' name. All of this is vile. Clinging to the gospel compels us to be people, not people who sow division, but who sow peace, who are known for cultivating and creating peace, living in harmony with others, being people who are filled with and marked by love and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness, people who are marked by grace. So we need to persevere in faith in the face of deceptive teaching. Third, our need to persevere in faith in Jesus is crucial as we are enticed with affluence and sensual pleasure. It is hard to say no to comfort. It is hard to say no to comfort. But following Jesus is a way filled with self-denial. It's hard to give up our preferences. It's hard to not prioritize what we want. But this is the essence of following Jesus. It's not following our desires, it's following Jesus and what his desire is for us, what he thinks is best for us. Not what we think, but what he thinks is best for us. And that's oftentimes not the same thing. This isn't easy. This does not happen naturally. In order for this to happen, it requires intention. It requires sacrifice. It requires us to choose to do hard things, uncomfortable things, unnatural things. Really, to live in this way is beyond us. We can't do this in our own strength. We need Jesus to come and to invade, to change our hearts, to show us grace so that we can show grace to people who don't deserve it. So that we can do things that are really hard to do. And not just do them, not do them begrudgingly, not do them in a way where bitterness builds up in our hearts, but do them in a way where love for others is being built. Faithful endurance is in many ways boring. It's not marked by dynamic personalities. It's not marked by bestsellers. Faithful endurance is often humble, quiet, and unimpressive. Not only does living in this way not result in special treatment and platforms and accolades, but it hurts. It's painful. It's a struggle. So one could ask, well, man, if that's what the Christian life is about, why? Why do it? Because it's not just hard. This has been the promise from of old, Psalm 16, 11. You, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the paradox of the gospel. It's going to be the hardest thing you do and the most joy-inducing, joy-giving thing that you participate in. It's paradoxical. It seems like it's contradictory, but it's not. 
Jesus' stated intention was that our joy would be full. John 17, 13 says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus doesn't just want us to have an inkling of joy. He wants joy to be full, to overflowing. That, that was his stated intention for his followers. And the clear connection is that here and now, joy stems from where our faith is placed. And First Peter 1 tells us about where our faith is placed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, Jesus, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith must be placed in Jesus. We have to be extremely vigilant as to where our faith resides. And we have to be honest about this as well, because it's really easy to say with our words that we're trusting in Jesus, but display with our actions that we trust in many other things. And this is why our words and our actions, why it's so important that there's consistency in our words and our actions. Because if we say one thing and do another thing, we're a hypocrite. Kids can smell a hypocrite from a mile away. Anybody who has been a parent understands this reality that kids are a great mirror. They'll call you on your trash. We don't want to be hypocrites. Jesus had really strong words for people who lived this way. A couple points of gospel application for us as we close. First of all, Jesus is our sacrifice and he is our victory. Is this who Jesus is to you? Do you believe Jesus is everything that you need for your slate of sins to be wiped clean? Or do you believe you need to wake up and you need to do such and such activities so that Jesus will approve of you, so that Jesus will fully forgive you? Do you believe that there's nothing you need to do that you can add to what Jesus has already done? Because that's what the gospel says. Jesus does it fully and completely. There is nothing for us to add to it. So when it says that he, when it says that he is our sacrifice, it means that he is the total sacrifice. Do you believe that your success, your conquering, your victory is only found in Jesus? Not in any amount of rigor or discipline? not in temporary beneficial circumstances for you, but your victory, true victory, is not found in a job promotion, but it's found in Jesus. It's not found in you accomplishing this certain thing. Victory is only found in and through Jesus. There's no add-ons. Nothing else. 
Jesus is our sacrifice and our victory. This is who he has revealed himself to be. As we look at 2022, this is what we need to understand. This is foundational. This is vital. This is necessary for us, not just to see, but to believe with everything in us. This is who Jesus is. This is who he has revealed himself to be. So we must see Jesus in all of his humility and in all of his superiority. In all of it. Secondly, when we see Jesus as this, when we see Jesus as faithful, we can then endure in faith. We can endure in faith when it's boring. We can endure in faith when it's a slog, when it may seem like we're missing out on something. We can endure in faith when it's hard, even when it's painful and lonely and unimpressive. The call for us as we see Jesus being faithful to us is to walk in that. Today after day, place faith in him. Even when we don't feel it, when we don't see it. Day after day, Jesus listened to his father. There were many other people who were saying things to him, telling him who he was and who he wasn't. Day after day, Jesus listened to his father. Day after day, Jesus, when he was tired, sought rest in prayer. There were many other things he could have done to go and seek rest, and and I'm sure he did on other occasions. But one of the pictures we get of Jesus is daily, over and over, seeking his Father in prayer. And, And this was how he was resting. Day after day, Jesus displayed patience. He loved those who were unimpressive, who had little to nothing to offer him. He kept moving forward, knowing that what awaited him was the cross. He persevered. He endured. He persisted when even his friends left his side. In this coming year, there will be many opportunities where it will be easy to tap out. It will be easy to indulge in sin. It will be easy to join the masses. It will be easy to lash out in anger. It will be easy to think of ourselves instead of others. Jesus didn't take the easy way out. And neither do we. Let's persist in faith. Even when it's hard. Even when we have no strength left. Let's use our remaining strength to place our faith in Jesus. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Let us hold fast to him with our belief, with our words, with our profession, 
with all of our lives. Let's see Jesus for who he is, and let's endure in faith.